Welcome to The Accelerators. Here for you are a series of tried and tested and proven real world ideas to help you create and enjoy a business and a life of choice. The Accelerators, because success loves speed. And now we come to the guest interview of the month. And in this issue, we'll hear the first of a two-part interview I carried out with Dennis Waitley. As I mentioned in the introduction to the programme, this is an interview I wanted to get for you for so many years, and I finally managed to get hold of Dennis early one morning, the day before he flew to Japan on yet another major speaking tour. The line is a little bit crackly, but you can certainly hear every word that Dennis has to say, and every one of them is worth hearing. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Dennis Waitley is one of America's most respected authors, keynote lecturers, and productivity consultants on high-performance human achievement. He has inspired, informed, challenged and entertained audiences for over 25 years, from the boardrooms of multinational corporations to the control room of NASA's space programme, from the locker rooms of world-class athletes to the meeting rooms of thousands of conventioneers throughout the world. Recently, he was voted Business Speaker of the Year by the Sales and Marketing Executives Association and by Toastmasters International and inducted into the International Speakers Hall of Fame. With over 10 million audio programs sold in 14 languages, Dennis Waitley is one of the most listened-to voices on personal and career success. He's the author of 12 non-fiction books, including several international bestsellers, Seeds of Greatness, Being the Best, The Winner's Edge, The Joy of Working, and Empires of the Mind. His audio program, The Psychology of Winning, is the all-time best-selling program on self-mastery. Dr. Waitley has counseled winners in every field from Apollo astronauts to Super Bowl champions, from sales achievers to government leaders and youth groups. During the past decade, he has served as chairman of psychology on the U.S. Olympic Committee's Sports Medicine Council, responsible for performance enhancement of all U.S. Olympic athletes. He is a founding director of the National Council on Self-Esteem and the President's Council on Vocational Education, and received the Youth Flame Award from the National Council on Youth Leadership for his outstanding contribution to high school youth leadership. As President of the International Society for Advanced Education, inspired by Dr. Jonas Salk, he counseled returning POWs from Vietnam and conducted simulation and stress management seminars for Apollo astronauts. I could go on and on about his achievements, qualifications and the differences he has made to the lives of so many people. But perhaps it's better if we hear for ourselves the difference he can make to our thinking. So let's go now and listen to Dr. Dennis Waitley. Well, hello, Dennison. How are you today? Oh, I'm great, Peter. It's great to be with you on The Achievers. Uh, you know, you have such a great program that it's, I'm always delighted when you allow me to be part of it. Well, that's lovely of you to say that, and I really appreciate you spending the amount of time, Dennis. Dennis, I've heard you speak, I've listened to your programs, I've read all your books, and I know I've talked about that in my introduction to you. So I've got some questions which hopefully are some that focus your mind and some of the key messages that I know you've used to make such a difference to so many people over life. Oh, that'll be great. You talk about living in prime time. Dennis, what do you mean by that expression? Well, in the United States, we call prime time 6 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that's when most of America is sitting in front of their television sets watching other people making money, having fun in their professions. Yeah. In other words, they're doing things that are tension-relieving instead of goal-achieving. And so the prime time of our lives I call our free time. And when you consider that most of our days are spent making money, so that we can support our families and so that we can have a lifestyle and maybe save a little bit for the future. 
we're really serving other people during most of our lives. And then prime time is when we should be either enjoying networking with those we love or working on ourselves. And that's when most of my achievements have occurred in terms of writing. The 15 books that I've written have all been written from either 6 to 11 p.m. at night or on Saturday. And I haven't been able to figure a way to write them during the time when I need to make money. (laughs) I understand. So you must be an evening and afternoon person rather than a morning person like some people are. Well, I'm a morning person too, but nonetheless, I find that I get up in the morning and maybe do a little exercise, and, and there's not a great deal of time in the morning to maybe write. And prime time also, I call the time that you really do spend with family rather than watching in a passive sense when you're more interactive. So I call living in prime time also maybe going out to ethnic restaurants, maybe going to uh, different kinds of artisan shows. In other words, it's getting off the sofa and getting out and living life rather than simply being a spectator. That makes so much sense. I heard recently of a study that said in America particularly, and I'm sure the same is in the UK and across the world, that people spend something like six or seven hours a day watching television on average? Oh, they do on average. And then you multiply that out and you get 50 hours a week watching television. And the people on television are enjoying the ratings that they get to have all those viewers. So that's what I mean by watching other people making money, having fun in their own profession. And I'm tired of being a spectator. I'd rather play a game of softball or or a little game of cricket or a game of rugby myself with my grandchildren than maybe watch a match. Now, I do like to watch sporting events, and I do like to listen to beautiful music. So I'm not saying that you should do without those great moments, but I think we do way too much of it, and it robs us of an opportunity to really engage in life rather than to be a spectator on the sideline. Yeah, what a great point. Dennis, when I've heard you speak at conferences and we've spoken together on the same bill, you talk about the 10 seeds of greatness. Now, perhaps there isn't time to go through all of them today, but could you share your thoughts on some of the key ones? Well, I think, you know, the key one, of course, is you must feel love inside before you can share it. In other words, how can you share an emotion you don't already have I know many people need other people. They need attention. They seek attention. They seek love. They want to be loved, but it's better to be lovable. And if you're lovable because of the love that you have inside you that you give away unconditionally, then that itself is internal value being given to other people. And I think that's the first seed. You must feel love inside before you can share it. And I think the second one, or or another seed, is the seed of personal responsibility, the idea that there truly is an unfailing boomerang. You know, there's films that are rushing around the world called The Secret and all of those, The Law of Attraction and so on. But the truth is, you know, you throw it out and it comes back like an unfailing boomerang. So I've always said that my rewards in life will reflect the quality and amount of service I render. In other words... I take responsibility for the choices I make, and I live with the rewards or consequences of those choices. And there seems to be, almost like the game of life, there seems to be a field judge and rules. And if you play the game within the rules and keep giving better service than you expect to receive in payment, more in service than you expect to receive in payment, you really will be sought after. And that kind of is... What I find is the personal responsibility that I have for making choices that keep me accountable. 
you know, that's really the seed of responsibility. So if you take love and responsibility, from there I get the seed of purpose. And I've been studying that for a long time, and it seems like the mind is really target-seeking by design. You know, the old saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, and that people without a goal are like a ship without a rudder, and a navigator on a ship knows where he or she is going but can't see the destination clearly until they get close to it. All of those things boil down to the fact that the mind always moves toward its currently dominant thought every minute of every day. And many people set their goals up in reverse. They use a negative goal. They say, I want to lose weight. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be late. And these kind of things. And it's very difficult to come away from any idea. So rather than punishing yourself with all the things you don't want to be, it's better to give a clear vision of the desired result so that the mind can focus like an internal guidance computer on the result or reward that you're seeking and try to make corrections to get there, but it needs a very clear focus. And I've been doing some brain studies with PET scans. You know, the PET scan is the way to scan what's happening in your brain, and you find that people who have a very current, dominant, emotional thought in the present moment, their brain seems to think that that's very important to keep them alive, and it puts that thought into long-term memory rather than dismissing it as a a pie-in-the-sky kind of thing. So I think the seed of purpose is that if you don't know where you're going, any old road will take you there. And if you know where you're going, you'll get there. And that's why the seed of purpose is so important to have this very, very magnificent obsession in life. You know, I know we're all obsessed with one thing or another, but boy, if they're magnificent, uh, what a wonderful thing that is. You know, some other things uh, along the line that might be the seed of faith, and that would be certainly belief and expectation. I've always said that you may not get what you want in life, but in the long run you'll get what you expect because of the incredible psychosomatic relationship between the way the mind and body seem to work together. And that's why it's so important to be an optimist, to have a deep faith, and to clarify If you clarify your goals, if you're doing it for a loving reason, if you take responsibility for the outcome, I think optimism or that emotional faith in the outcome is probably one of the great best-kept secrets, as you would put it, of high achievers. Beautiful words and so inspirational. Now, Dennis, I know you're still going round the world. You're giving speeches. You're off to Japan and Australia. You speak in America. But one of the key things you do, I understand, is each year you go on what I might call a pilgrimage to Africa. Why do you do that? What do you discover about yourself or life? It's the most amazing thing. Every year in August, when the great migration of wildebeest and zebra, millions of beasts, I go out there and for some reason I have a commune with nature and even with our, uh, if you will, orchestrator or our conductor. I find that for over 120,000 years, the people there, the Maasai, have been migrating with the animals, but more so than that, when I see a black rhino out there, I know that he or she has been there for six million years. And it puts me so close to our beginnings And I know that many of the early footprints and human prints have been found in that area of the Serengeti and of Kenya and that area. And for some reason, when I'm out there without 
brick and mortar or steel or golden arches or the drone of cars and cookie cutter homes. I don't get the feeling that I'm just part of the passing scene. I connect and it connects me with what's gone before and all that there is to go. And so I find more of a religious or spiritual feeling than I would in any hallowed hall. It puts me closer, and I think it's because of the cycle, the cycle of uh, watching the herbivores and how they work with the grass and with the flood and the famine, and then the people there who migrate and have. And I think many times that we've upset that balance by the way we plunder and the way we use the environment. So for me, it really is a pilgrimage with the Maasai walking on the wild side. So I've taken my children and grandchildren every year to that marvelous area of Kenya where they still do what they've been doing for all those years. And it really isn't like a wild animal park or a zoo. In other words, it's not like they've penned the animals in and take you for a camera outing. It really is the way it's always been. And for some reason, it's given me a very, very deep spiritual connection, and it fascinates me. And I never see the same thing twice. I can sit for hours quietly. And the Messiah said to me, you're very unlike a tourist. You don't have a camera. You don't have a video. You don't see how many animals you can see and put it on a list. You don't have an itinerary. You don't say, what are we going to see next? You sit, listen, watch. And I say, yeah, and I wonder. And I wonder of the wonder of this great creation that we have called life. Dennis, I get the feeling if I'd kept quiet, you might have gone on for another 20 minutes about that. I would have. I probably would have gone on so long you would have had to call time out. (laughs) I can feel it from you in the words and the way that you've expressed them. And I think you would prompt anyone to think about taking that time out in their life. You use an acronym called CASH, K-A-S-H. What's that all about? Well, it's, you know, cash flow, we all have our little idiosyncrasies. You know, we L-U-C-K, labor under correct knowledge. We F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. We use these, all the speakers do, but cash for me at K-A-S-H, and it has to do with this jungle thing. When you figure you go out there, and there are lions, there's 19 lions lying under a bush, and you know that you're in their territory, you feel insecure, You feel like a tourist, and suddenly you realize that if you have the knowledge, and if your attitude toward that knowledge, so K would be knowledge, A would be your attitude toward it, and then you go S for skills. And if you have skills wrapped around knowledge, and you have H, the habits that are developed from repeating the skills, you have the cash flow that I need, because with the knowledge, attitude, skills, and habits, I'm not afraid anymore. The reason I'm not afraid is I've just moved from a tourist to a tour guide. And a tour guide is someone whose knowledge and attitude and skills or experience make the jungle, instead of a savage place, more of a paradise because you know what to do with it. So I've always said that really fear is overcome by cash. Knowledge, attitude, skills, and habits enable you to be courageous because courageous people are well prepared. They know what to expect. They know what's going on. And they're not as frightened of the unknown as the rest of us. And I think most fear comes from the unknown, comes from ignorance, as does prejudice. So prejudice and fear are based on ignorance. And the more cash you get, the K-A-S-H type, 
the less ignorance, the less fear, and the more courage I think you begin to feel. And of course you could apply that to any area of your life, let alone watching lions. Well, you really can, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get more knowledge and better skills and get them into habits so that I can reflex, almost like brushing my teeth or driving my car. I can, I can make winning more habit-forming because I've had so many little doubts and fears that creep in just at the moment when I'm ready to do something. That little voice tells me, wow, uh, this is too good for you, too much for you, too risky for you. And I think the more prepared I am, the less I will have these kinds of voices. Dennis, I love what you said in there about making, I think I'll rephrase it, but making success a reflex in the sense you just do it automatically and that's what cash gives you. Well, it does. And if you look toward this incredible China unfolding at the Beijing Games, you will really understand that for 1,200 days, these Olympic hopefuls have been using KASH, their knowledge, attitudes, skills, and habits through training for one moment of Olympic glory where they allow themselves the freedom to remember what they've learned before in a very zone, free-flowing way. They don't try to win. At the moment when you perform, the best thing to do is allow yourself the freedom to have muscle memory and to reflex yourself. And so the best Olympians at that moment don't force and push and, and agonize the stand there and get themselves focused and relaxed. And then it's a beautiful thing to watch that unfold. And that's why I think that winning and losing become reflex habits because you've taught yourself beforehand and you allow yourself then to perform. I love it. In fact, one of the people I was interviewing some years ago, Dennis, said that, and I thought it was a brilliant quote, is that a true champion plays when it means everything as though it means nothing. I love that. Isn't that gorgeous? Oh, that's, you, don't, don't ever lose that because that's, I know that to be true from the Olympic athletes I've worked with over the years. They really, when they're in that zone, there is no future. There is no past. There is only this moment. And they're in the moment as a child would be who's coloring in a coloring book and you call the child for dinner. And the child doesn't hear you because the child is so engrossed in what he or she is doing, that they're there with what they're... And, and we tend to lose that. We tend to be always focused on what we must do and doing it better. And a child knows at play, they're in their imagination. Well, the Olympian is in their reflexive imagination and just allowing the flow. And I've seen that with figure skaters. One who won the gold when she was 17, you know, a few Olympiads ago. She had not a chance to win no reason to force or push and she went out and just skated as if she were a little girl at play and won the gold because she didn't fall she wasn't trying not to fall she was just out there enjoying this wonderful childlike experience and uh, you watch that and you say wow i want to be like that more if you've enjoyed our session today why not head over to our website where we have loads of resources on product creation on sales on marketing and of course on personal success that's at theacceleratorsclub.com i'll see you there